Hey, this is the DM Discourse, a podcast about D&D focused on the experience at the table from behind the screen. I'm your host, Daryl, and today we're picking up where we left off with the party cleric surrendering himself to the authorities of the village cult and other members retreating from the tavern they fought with the help of two members of the Dawn Guard. This is the second episode about the AD&D module N1 against the Cult of the Reptile God, so if you haven't listened to that one, I recommend you go back and check that one out, and then come back here afterwards. For the rest of you, let's see how my players get themselves out of this inconvenient situation, one that they definitely put themselves in. family, I write to let you know that Julian and I have made it safe to the town of Orlean. I know Ma, God's rest her soul, always told us to watch out for trouble, and that the clan cave is the only safe place in the world for a clueless bat like me, but I think we all know in our deepest thoughts it's getting too crowded there. Be assured that's thinking I had long before I ever took Julian to wife, and she told me the same. Anyway, Orlean's a right nice place. Y'all should come up sometime, maybe bring some of those famous Sig Hollow shrooms for the friends we make. The mayor, Zecharias, is a stand-up fella, and so's the family. Not so sure about the dragonborn bodyguard of his, but Zach tells me they're good folk. Can't take a drink to save their life, though. Got the weakest constitution for celebration I've ever seen. And that counts cousins Gilbert and William, both. A few of the locals stand out as a bit odd, though. They got some kind of druid out in the grove along the edge of town. A Catherine, if you can believe it. Ain't seen one of them moon goats in a dozen winters. Now I got one for a neighbor. Keeps to himself, as is his right, but it's nice to know we have someone versed in herbs and such. Don't know what to make about the head priest either. Misha Devi, who runs the Temple of Murica here, one of those saints of Arawi, told her we're staunch followers of Faces Three in this household, to which Julian intervened by smacking my head sideways and saying we'd love to attend one of the services someday. My wife seems to have it in her head that we'll be making ourselves more comfortable by taking up a few of the customs, and we wouldn't be the first to give praise to a couple gods anyhow. Otten, be sure to keep Olo and Obo out of trouble. The twins don't do anything well but flying where they don't need to be. Moshe, don't forget your medicines on the regular, and if you have any requests for your studies, let us know. Might be the hermit has something we can send on over. Also included is a bottle from the Orlane Vineyards. Pa. Only have little. You shan't be drinking like you did during your adventuring days. Julian sends her love to y'all, and so do I. Your best looking and second eldest brother, Galen Weaver. Now that we're done with awful back-to-back accents, I suppose we should actually get to the episode. (laughs) Depending on the supplement you pick up, you can have a lot of sandbox for you and your players to explore. There's plenty of resources I've gone through that make it easy to just have that world-at-the-ready feeling. You may have to hammer out the finer details yourself, or if you're feeling adventurous, may even expand on the adventure to build off of your own campaign ideas. 
With a bit of clever integration, all of those meat thoughts you have in your brain can be easily dropped bit by bit throughout uh, other published content to give it a unique flavor. Although the adventure might be the same, I'm sure if you play the same module, depending on the table, you'll get very different uh, results and tones. But I did drop some homebrew early in the module. By now, the players were at least familiar with two of the secret organizations in my campaign, the Dawnguard, who were sworn to the old royal lineage, and the Obfuscators, agents of the Usurper, the Prism Wizard. Here in the Drifting Isles, there was no sovereignty by the latter, since the country itself fractured following the upheaval of the old dynasty, but I wanted to have events stirring in the background about that civil unrest. For the players, however, their understanding of the situation was less gray. The guard were their good guy friends, the obfuscators a bunch of The motivations and validity of the organizations would become clearer to the players as the campaign went on, but for now it was good fortune for a couple of Don Guard agents to be greeting them at the back door of the Golden Grain Inn to bring them to safety. Skaji, whose conscience dictated him to surrender to the authorities for the murder he committed, albeit against a charmed individual, was swiftly taken into captivity by the constable, and the guard scoured the rest of the inn looking for the party. By the time they had made it through the doors, the party had been brought across the bridge to the more secluded part of town. They followed their new allies, Dorian and Llewellyn, to the grove of stately elms, a narrow trail of majestic elms and thick shrubbery. At the end of it was a ramshackle hut where the town druid-slash-hermit, Ramney, lived, and was a bit of a signal to me that the adventure would start to accelerate from this point out. There's a lot of freedom that against the cult of the reptile god offers for players, as I said last time. It gives ample descriptions of every point they'd want to explore, without trying to guide them along a strict path of plot points to follow. One of the other great things that could happen, and sort of did happen to my party, was that the cultists in town could actually try to kidnap the characters and bring them to the dungeon of Explicita Defilus. Depending on when the opportunity presented itself, such as the players sleeping at the end, they could be kidnapped. Alternatively, they could, uh, the, the cultist members that is, could kidnap other targets in town who weren't yet under the Naga's spell, and the book even gives a list of those who were possible victims. And there's plenty of potential you could have there as well. Perhaps if you wanted to introduce this module as an opening to your campaign, they could be kidnapping one, someone close, to, uh, an NPC or background character close to one of the player characters, or maybe one of the party members who went off on their own adventure because in real life they couldn't be at the table, maybe they had to be rescued by the rest of the party. Regardless of what you choose to do, there's plenty of uh, potential to have on that setup alone uh, that will, I think could easily fit whatever it is that's going on in your campaign or where you want the campaign to go. As far as their actions, though, Knowing that there was a party of individuals capable of disrupting their plans and having already captured one of them, the cult members chose to accelerate their timeline. That's something to remember always, that it's in your best interest to react to the player's actions in terms of like plot advancement and what the bad guys are up to. Villains, much like your players, have their own ideas and agendas, and you should feel free to have those move forward with or without the player's knowledge of it. We'll get to revisit that later on, in broader strokes when we revisit the Dawnguard and Obfuscator's conflict, especially as that starts to encompass the area at large. But for now, let's just focus on the local scale. As the book says, Ramney is well aware of the cult, but much like any other high-level NPC, isn't keen on trying to make moves against them on his own. Plus, he's got other problems to worry about beyond the scope of the players, something else that is left open enough that 
maybe if the players do pry, um, you could come up with something and that might serve as a seed for later on. But it's also understandable that, you know, him being a few levels higher means there are other concerns that he has. The module goes so far as to recommend avoiding having Ramni as a primary character of the story or having the players rely on him too much. If you have players rely on an NPC too much, they'll expect to be saved at the worst moments or know that if they have questions that they can always rely on one of them to provide answers. It's perfectly fine for there to be characters that exist in your world that provide insight to the players that they didn't have before, but they can't and shouldn't know everything. NPCs aren't there for them to rely on when it gets tough or to become the stars of the show while the party starts to play second fiddle. As the module reads, it's their adventure, not Ramney's. The way I played him also fed into this. I used another one of my homebrew races by Petal Co- uh, Goat Folk called Kefrin to throw in some other unique flavor of my campaign ideas. At some point in the setting's history, one of the moons shattered and these sentient ghosts descended in chunks of rock to the planet, taking up residence where they could find. I think Ramney is one of the only Kefrin they've met up to now, even in the current timeline of the campaign. And since none of the players have expressed interest in playing one, I've been able to maintain that mystery of never having to explicitly give statistics or background other than, yeah, the moon blew up and then these guys came down on their rock ships. Again, if the players don't pester you about the stats of it, something you don't gotta immediately worry about. Between that and the players walking into a flora-filled hut, I think they just got about everything they needed to know about Ramni. Even though the druid himself was knowledgeable about the cult, I still gave the initiative to the players to decide what they wanted to do. And as any group shorthanded and barely skirting around level 3 does, they saw themselves having one really, really one option. They had to rescue their friend. It was at this point Ramni chose to pipe up, not by giving them explicit detail about the cult and all their plans and where they could have taken their friend, but instead by offering a magical item, a cloak of elven kind. The elven cloak is a classic D&D item that goes back even before the hobby, just in that nexus of shared ideas. But this iteration of the game, it has a particularly super useful ability. With the hood drawn up, you have an advantage on stealth checks, and others have disadvantage on perception checks to spot you. Aside from things going totally sideways or magical alarms, you aren't being seen by anybody. I can't recommend enough that you should definitely give an item like this or this item to your players. If you're worried about it perhaps overpowering your stealth characters, don't worry. Your players are going to want to feel good by excelling at the things they specialize in. And for stealth-focused or dex-based characters, sneaking around just automatically falls into that category. They're going to love rolling and then mostly just succeeding at whatever it is they do. Sure, it may make it a bit more challenging for the things that you have to plan for, but in the same way that I had to learn to deal with flying player characters as a norm, you'll pick up on how to deal with very stealthy characters finding their way in the places you don't plan for them to be. I wonder sometimes if I maybe went too quickly for the next part of the adventure. With Chitu still reeling from the poison at the tavern, the only real contender to stealth around town was Pedwar the drunken dwarven monk. Uh, But holy crap, did he shine in this moment. Not even just from having the cloak, but he also just enjoyed the opportunity to use his talents and skills in a solo-focused scenario. It went as thus. Pedwar donned the cloak and headed back into town, starting with where Skaji had been taken by the constable. He headed south and saw a group of guards escorting the cleric, hooded eastward in town across the river they came from earlier. 
I had some small roleplay I did with Skadi's character in between moments where the rest of the party figured out what they needed to do, giving them some insight on what could possibly be going on and also preventing um, Skadi's player from booting up a game and kind of zoning out for another hour and a half. You know, I guess this also brings up a good opportunity to discuss. If you ever find yourself in a situation where maybe a player character is taken away from the rest of the party or that you have a new player character you need to introduce, don't be afraid to stop paying attention to the three or four other players at the table and instead put all the cameras on this one player and see what kind of action could be emerging out of sight from the rest of the characters. If your players are starting to use that knowledge to metagame, feel free to call them out, of course, but I think it provides a much more um, immersive experience of roleplay and adds more depth to the sudden danger that this one player character is in. As for full and complete character death, well, that's another topic for another time. For now, going back to the uh, rustic village of Orlain, the guards had no chance of spotting Pedwar and his element, so he was able to easily follow them to the footsteps of the Temple of Marika. There, Skaji was passed off to the charmed priest of the temple, Misha Devai. She commanded Skaji to be taken inside and escorted to the dungeon below the temple. This was the part in particular I wonder about reconsidering. The module has an entire dungeon uh, with multiple levels dedicated to exploring the places beneath the temple, which, ultimately, the players didn't do any of. Pedwar wanted to figure out where his friend was being taken, so he ran up some trees and jumped over to the side windows of the temple. Of course he would be able to. I thought it would make sense that Misha Devai would keep some kind of clue about where they would end up taking those that they capture, so he did find it. I think reconfiguring what was supposed to be an additional dungeon crawl into a single narrative scene was the right call, though. I wasn't keen on having one of the players sit there for an extended period of time waiting to play while everyone else tried to rescue them, even if it did mean they were bypassing a decent chunk of the module. Plus, of course, there's nothing preventing me from using it again later on. The players would never know. That's kind of the call you make at the table, and I think what makes for a great pre-made adventure to use. It's flexible to accommodate for the actions and consequences of the players. If the module says something like, uh, at this point, the players will do X so it can lead to Y, that isn't inherently a bad thing, especially if the players are getting into the scenario that's set up for them, but you can't always want players to do the things you expect. Generally, players aren't expected to surrender when confronted by overwhelming odds, so it was a surprise for me when one of them did, and threw away any notion of where this party would find themselves a lot quicker. Arguably, there weren't any odds that they were up against because they had succeeded. In any case, it hastened the events to follow. From overhearing Misha Devai and analyzing the documents he found, Pedwar discovered a caravan of captured villagers and traders would be heading east out of the town that very night. He returned back to the group and informed them of this, with enough clues in hand to help them take the adventure into their own hands and deal with the threat of the Naga. The NPCs they'd made up to this point were given the exit I needed them to have. Dorian and Llewellyn were free to try and pursue the tracks of Desley, the obfuscator they were tailing, and Ramney was able to return to whatever other matters he had to attend to. For the duration of their journey, however, he let them keep the Cloak of Elvenkind, which was a cool move on his part. One of the nice things about N1 as well is that it's prepared for eventualities going forward. The players could have asked Ramney for help, or he could have loaned them his animal companion. Both are options that are listed. They could have gone out and looked for trails of troglodytes to follow back to the swamp to the hideout. All that the module talks about leading into the second part is that the players have a good idea that the base of the cult isn't in town. 
and with the caravan heading out, that's something they were sure of. I mean, it's entirely possible that they would never have met Ramni at all, or even the Dawn Guard members. And of course, there's nothing to stop you from just removing them entirely if that's something you're not interested in for your campaign. Or if maybe they're a little few levels higher and can probably take care of themselves. I think there's a couple ways that I could have sprinkled this information in if they hadn't had to try and rescue Suji in the first place. They probably would have ended up kicking the doors down of the temple and infiltrating it that way, or maybe trying to mask themselves as charmed in order to discreetly gather information about the cult's true whereabouts. If you wanted to run this adventure, you probably could just have the party find out wherever makes sense best for you, maybe not even giving them a solid idea of where to start looking other than outside of town. Uh, in fact, reading over the text again, I think that's the idea they were going for. The module says it could take a couple of days of false leads and losing tracks before the group ends up finding the actual temple of Explicita Defilus. A different game for a different time. That's kind of just how the night ended up going, frankly. I had some arbitrary combat as the party set up an ambush on the eastern side of town. They took the cultists by surprise, of course, and were able to dispatch a number of them, non-lethally this time, except for the troglodytes accompanying the, the uh, cultists, with relative ease. Ulrun, the tiefling sorcerer, was still trying to find footing with his playstyle. He had taken up Shadowblade, which is a spell that gives a kick-ass sword of solidified gloom in order to try and do more damage, because I believe at the time he was just trying to increase his damage output, rather than making use of utility spells that he was capable of. However, given his build, he wasn't able to make real good use of it, so he ended up relying on just hurling magic missiles at enough foes until they fell over. I think the player ended up keeping it for thematic purposes, but has a better idea of what he wants to do during combat and other situations now. With their friend rescued and informed, the party was ready to head out into the night and make camp before the long trek to the dungeon. The next part, aptly titled The Trail to the Reptile God's Lair, actually has a really cool map of the Greyhawk setting that it was used for, as well as the expected scenarios and encounters while making their path there. It doesn't take up a lot of real estate in the grand scheme of the module itself, but as anyone who's played at the table can tell you, it's easy to get bogged down from surprisingly challenging random encounters. I also like to throw in some narrative encounters foreshadowing the awful things about to happen, but we'll save that for next time. And that's all I've got for today's episode. So far, Against the Cult of the Reptile God has shown a ton of flexibility in what I wanted to do with it, and what you could do with it as well. The dungeon we're gearing up towards is more linear, but has some clever design that makes it memorable yet challenging for the first-time crew to tackle. The party at this point is level 2 and 3, because I'm nefarious in rewarding my players, but since the module is for low-level adventurers, that sort of turns out alright in the end. As always, I'm up for hearing any concerns, comments, or criticism. Feel free to email me at dmdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com, or reach out to me on Twitter at DMDCPodcast. Appreciate you all out there. Thanks a bunch for listening. As always, take care. Have a great week.